from all kinds of places and struggles talk about the hard lessons learned through their political work, what organizing means for them, what keeps on going wrong, and what great victories they had, and what made them. You are listening to our intermission episode. We never expected to have an intermission, but this podcast, like anything, exists in relation to a world defined by turbulence and crisis. In experimental production itself, we wanted to take the opportunity to announce that Spadework is still alive and kicking, after a longer pause induced by new jobs, finishing grad school, corona, and the crumbling texture and substance of everyday life in late-stage neoliberalism. In this episode, we want to take the time to reintroduce the podcast and its hosts and reflect on lessons learned in our organizing practice before we talk about upcoming episodes. Without further ado, welcome back to Spadework. So, welcome back. Um, this is Daniel Gutierrez, your wonderful co-host, along with Antia Dieterich. And um, we thought we would be funny this time around and just basically ask each other a series of questions um, around the podcast and our uh, lessons learned um, before we then introduce the, the, the upcoming episodes. And then we're going to go into some rapid-fire questions that should be quite fun at the end of this. So, I'm going to start this off. You ready, Antia? I'm ready. Born right. ready. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Who are you? And how did you become politicized? And how did all of this lead you to spade work? Do I have like an hour or two to <laughs> get into it? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, I am Antje Dieterich and I became politicized in a time that is in Germany called baseball bat years. Um, it was basically shaped by a strong organizational burst on the radical right. There was a lot of violence against um, asylum seekers or people that for the variety of reasons that are common on the right did not fit into some kind of like homogenized society they imagined. And um, this followed the, the, the fall of the wall, right? Like yeah. In the 1990s. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, now you said how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. So during that time, there was also quite common in the West what is called autonomous centers. Like youth centers were more left leaning. Young people would have their parties come together have also political talks, the likes. And I would think that is my introduction into being a political person or like being politicized, I guess. Yeah. Um, in general, I would say it wasn't very well theorized or for me, I didn't like um, read up on it or anything like that. It was more defined by the opposition of the the right wing You didn't have like a clear program or a theory of praxis. No, just, I wouldn't say that for everyone. <laughs> yeah, I just wasn't a Nazi and, and you didn't uh, like, like punk music concerts or something. I don't know. But I wouldn't say that for everyone there. But for me, that is how it was. Um, and then I think more of a theoretical development happened when I entered the university. Um, and in Europe, the so-called Bologna process was beginning and it was basically an attempt to uh, reform uh, neoliberalized universities um, 
And there was a struggle organized against it. In that context, there was more union presence. And so I became more aware of different organizational forums. Um, if, if you don't mind telling the audience in what ways did the neoliberal or in what ways did the Bologna process actually change the universities? Like what were you guys fighting against? Uh, they reformed the way the studies were structured. It became way more like high school where you get you arrive and you get like a fixed schedule where you have to be with a very high workload and a very tight supervision if you actually made uh, if you your, graduated if you yeah if you graduated the classes like you have a very fixed amount of time whereas when I started in the very first year um, they um, I had a structure I had to take I don't know over the course of two years I think I don't remember the exact numbers but let's say like 10 classes and had to make uh, certain I had to write certain works in four of them and when I do them and how exactly I did them was very very flexible so I had actually time to develop as also as a political person, I had time to go to classes where they talk about Karl Marx, for example, or about union struggles in, in Latin America or right-wing organization in Chile or where I could kind of like um, pick a little bit to my liking and shape my studies that I felt they were also forming me as a person. So, so basically, uh, prior to the Bologna Accords, from what I understand, that means uh, or the Bologna process that um, you basically had uh, you, you had more flexibility in terms of choosing what kind of classes you wanted to choose, and you also had more time because you could also negotiate how you would kind of deal with the workload and what would be like the, the final product that you turn into the class to prove that you did it, right? Um, yeah, you had a little bit more room for negotiation, and also... Um, I, that was more like a maybe a cultural side effect that it produced that it wasn't strongly supervised if you went to the classes. There was a rule that if you, let's say, you got sick for longer or you had, had a family issue or whatever reason, you were like, okay, I can't go to all of the uh, classes this semester. You talk to professors and there were possibilities to to still get through. And that became very normed and and supervised and written down and then through the Bologna process yeah yeah and so it was a, basically a way of uh, governing student life or something like that absolutely yeah. and the other part that uh, that came with it was the funding question that you have um, far less and that's where I feel you really feel the spirit of neoliberalism less long-term funding and a lot of pro project focused where you have to apply for money which is the same state money but doesn't go to the university it goes in a pot and then you apply every one two or five years for new project funding sounds a great way to spend yeah. resources yeah <laughs> so that time I guess I got the chance to to educate myself a little bit more theoretically um, and then I would think the you you have the struggle against the the Bologna process, mm -hmm. and then um, what followed after that? After that, I would think uh, I would say I kind of retreated from political organization for a while. Um, I did learn more. I went to classes to learn about struggles from the past. I uh, studied Latin American studies, so I had the chance to look in a lot of Latin American movements and stuff like that. Um, and I think really back into political organization was around the refugee struggle 2014-ish, somewhere around there, 1314. Um where through the foundation that funded my PhD at that time, um, we had first a very formal, or not very formal, but like a bit part of the, the foundation and a group that tried to enable or better access to education for people without formal residency or people within the asylum process, like basically refugees arriving, allowing them to enter the university. Um, so out of the scholarship holding cohort, you guys developed this infrastructure to help refugees. They have the alumni group of that uh, foundation basically initialized it. They there were people connected to 
other organizations like yeah there were reasons for them to do it they had connections and so i became a part of that um and then kind of during the same time started spending a lot of time in the u.s where i incidentally met my husband (laughs) um and there was also a struggle around access to education if you want it was a union struggle at uh, ucsd that was very um that heated up around democratizing unions i'm pretty sure you will talk about this a little bit more later Mm -hmm. but that was definitely a struggle where for me the question of organizing in the classic sense like how do i reach out to people that don't want to be in the autonomous center at the punk concert how do i reach out to people that don't care about the Bologna process because they either way are studying something that was structured before or whatever reason they have. So that element of organizing, getting, widening your base, if you want, was something that in that time became very, very important for me. And then parallel, we had a development in Berlin where an organizational structure, Solidarity City, um, built up. And so we were kind of a bit... What was Solidarity City? Solidarity City, the refugee struggle I mentioned started like 13, 14 to become really a, a thing in the in, in the public recognition and the numbers. Um, and then over, like, we're able to mobilize the refugee self-organization structures, we're able to mobilize really big demonstrations and a lot of people um, were very sympathetic with their demands um but by 2015 i think yeah i'm trying to get the year straight but like roughly around there it became more and more clear 2015 was a summer the quote unquote summer of migration true and then yeah. uh, after september that was when september was when merkel supposedly opened up the borders just to deport everyone the but next just day. to streamline yeah. deportation processes yeah. so mm. made it easier to get in but also made it way easier to kick out um, okay, so then it was end of 15 that the realization really hit that the mobilization itself and the huge amount of people being sympathetic in a lot of parts wasn't enough because um, the legal conditions actually had worsened. The the possibilities to even get asylum in Germany, um, the the kind of the rights that the police got and like the the overall living conditions for people seeking asylum in Germany worsened over the years. Um, and so we so had... So there, there was no correlation between the numbers of people mobilized yeah. and the structures being changed. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so there were a lot of reflections what uh, could be done differently. And one analysis was that the city of Berlin, which was also a state... Um, was particularly progressive relatively to the overall um, population in Germany. And um, so we were looking at models where kind of municipalist approaches uh, made the situation for uh, refugees better. Um, there was the no one is a legal campaign in Toronto. Some comrades from over there came over and talked to us. But there were also in other cities in Europe, like you had in Athens an attempt like or a movement, there was uh, stuff going on in Barcelona. So to basically say, okay, we can't do the federal level, that doesn't work, we need to do something locally, and so we need to create a structure that can last a bit longer, that can offer a certain stability in a struggle that is, per definition, unstable because the state intervenes in a form that they actually like, deport your activists. <laughs> so we needed a, a something that stabilized and something that had a new focus. Yeah, that was a very, very teaching time, I would say, that definitely uh, led to the creation of the Werkstatt für Bewegungsbildung with uh, another comrade from that Solidarity City um, network or alliance. We felt that we had learned a lot, we had reached stuff, we had won stuff, but we also bumped into a lot of problems based on on a lack of knowledge at the end of the day, I would say. Like, our analysis was that we could have been better 
if we would have known better. <laughs> we had better access to organizing know-how, basically. To organizing know-how, um, and I think also, but that might actually be an insight that I only have now and I hadn't had then. I think it would have helped us to have also someone somewhat external to help us through some problems, but particularly conflictive uh, issues within um, the alliance. Uh, and so basically, from all these different experiences, um, from the autonomous center, the watching Nazis organize themselves very well, I have to say, um, then being part of the union, seeing how it was possible to really transform a union in the U.S., um, and win the goods. And win the goods. Uh -huh. <laughs> and what made it? Yeah. Um, and also the the organizational structures around refugees. We had this insight that that there are problems that you run into everywhere, and that there are so many good ideas to solve them that we actually need a point where we collect those ideas, how to solve it, where we create space to think about new problems and how they might be solved. Or at least like if you do trial and error, at least write down all the errors you made to make them once because there are so many, they say. And so I think that really shaped the idea of the Werkstatt. And then the Werkstatt was hit by Corona. Our plan was to uh, give or... Like to ha create this this learning space and do that um, through workshops with different organizations in Berlin. But then when the pandemic uh, started or reached Europe, if you want, um, it was clear that the, the model that we wanted to do wasn't in the exact uh, way doable. And so the idea of the podcast really that was there before kind of like on the side we could do this but the podcast uh, became definitely more important later down the road we also did more online um, stuff with workshops obviously because otherwise um, <laughs> there wouldn't have been anything and uh, now we know that corona stayed a little bit longer than everyone thought in the beginning but um, I think that was for me the route that this went awesome um, where have you been the last six months? It's on the been beach. a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I have not been on the beach, unfortunately. <laughs> Actually, I have been, briefly. Um, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Oh, it's good to remember. That, that, that was in October. <laughs> we took a trip over to uh, California. Yes, that was pretty great. Um, other than that, where have I been? I... Um, started a new job that is very labor intensive um i we did have corona that yeah. really knocked us out i have yeah. to say the vaccine uh thank you that it was there but um i i had hoped for more protection <laughs> um we struggled a lot around um care um, care labor for uh, we have a child um, the care facilities are obviously also hit by corona um, and so I feel the last six months were kind of like I don't want to say a blur but it was like stacking up a lot of uh, issues and we did a tiny little bit of uh, organizing around the care labor question uh, in regards to the working conditions for the teachers in the childcare, kindergarten, daycare, it's what it's called, yeah. Um, and yeah, trying to reach out to parents and see a little bit uh, what is going on there, talking to unions. Cool. Yeah. Top, what are the top three things you learned from last season, Antia? <laughs> 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 learned so much no um i did but the top three things i was thinking about this like what was the most important thing and i interestingly enough i have to admit here that i was quite opposed to do an episode on a book um but then daniel won and we did an episode on rodrigo nunes book um where the concept of 
um, an ecology, the, the left as an ecology is somewhat present. And I think that concept helps me a lot when I now think about different organizational bodies and to understand a little bit better how they benefit each other, even though you might not talk to all of them. I'm not in contact with every union. I'm not in contact with every left organization in the city. But to um, to understand them as uh, as forces that contribute to to a left power, if you want, like potential power. That's something that I would definitely put there on the top. The other thing that uh, I I very much enjoyed the talk with uh, Valeria Saga, um, and I think. She makes up that potential to move unions, to rethink the function of a union outside of just um, bread and butter issue, wage labor negotiation under these and those terms, to kind of rethink them as a place where workers self-organize, I guess, and what that could uh, potentially entail or, or what, what possibilities can grow out of it. I feel she opened up a very interesting field there. And then the other episode I had actually listened into more than once is the one-on-one -on -one toolbox. Uh, and just because people asked me questions and I didn't really know an answer to them, which happens fortunately quite often. <laughs> no, but it's just to kind of like re-listen to those inputs and rethink how people can do one-on-ones. Um, yeah, I think those were the top three elements. What do you wish you knew back when you started becoming politically active that you know now? <laughs> I think if I would have known the ecology thing, I might have been a little bit less annoyed by a lot of organizations. <laughs> Not everyone has to think like you think, <laughs> Not everyone has to be me. No. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I really think that um, um, that that is something like this. Um, thinking about the the left beyond kind of competition or or being better or whatever. Yeah. And. Um, What organizing problem are you dealing with at the moment? <laughs> Time. <laughs> Hashtag life. <laughs> yeah, uh, for myself, because uh, of just the constellation that uh, care and wage labor um, and keeping um, <laughs> this mortal form alive. Um, uh, the question how organizing can function if you only have people that are in the same situation that I'm in. If you have parents, for example, that all need to balance uh, a lot of responsibilities and you want them to be engaged, how do you address that? Awesome. And um, which episode from next season are you most looking forward to? <laughs> Um, one never knows what comes out of the episodes uh, with the time question it should be uh, an episode around care but it is actually right now the Chile episode uh, for a personal reason because we are going to talk to a comrade that we worked with in in the US in 2014 14, somewhere around yeah. there mm -hmm. um, but also because I think there is so much to see right now in Chile um, how a success is built through a very good balance between long-term fixed structures and then how they contribute to different movement outbursts and I think that's like a it's 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 organic but it's not automatic and I think there is a lot of um, stuff to learn Cool. Thank you. Um, now I'm going to pass the mic over to Antia. And she will now interrogate me. And I am sitting on 
Uh, my hands. <laughs> <laughs> so, now. <laughs> Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will ask you very, very much the same things because I think it will be very interesting to see your side of the story. Um, who are you and how did you become politicized? Yeah, um, so I'm Daniel Gutierrez and I, do, I did not grow up in uh, Germany during the baseball bat years. I grew up in... Uh, Southern California um, in the 1990s and early 2000s and um, was not politically active at all. Um, and that's mainly a testament, I think, to, to neoliberalism's ability to uh, completely erase historical memory. Um, because I had no idea, like growing up, like what Chicanos were or anything like that. I had... Like, you know, Black Panthers were like the the, the crazy shotgun um, black radicals and Martin Luther King was awesome and his struggle ended in 1964 and he was happy with everything. Um, and he never criticized capitalism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, that was basically how I, that was like kind of the, the life world that I grew up in because that was the life world that was structured. Um <laughs> that was kind of made for us to kind of believe that, right? And so, um, yeah, uh, I didn't really have any super deep political process aside from, like, you know, having questions about, like, why is it that when we cross the border to go to Tijuana to visit family, everyone is, not everyone, but uh, poverty is so extreme here. Why is it that on that side of the border, someone's time is worth more and on this side of the border, someone's time is worth less? These things um, were obviously big question marks. Um, and I was raised in a, in a Catholic family, which in this case meant that there was also a kind of strong bend for social justice, um, you know, kind of around the, what is it, the Sermon on the Mount or some shit like that? Mm -hmm. That's your field of expertise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fortunately, I like um, that education. Yeah, so, um, yeah, and then I basically got politicized once I, once I went to, to college, and I went to college also in the context of um, the financial crisis. And so for me, like, Barack Obama was a big moment. Like, I really thought that racism had ended and everything, and everything was totally going to be cool. And then Barack Obama got elected, and then there was a massive financial crisis and that wasn't at all his fault because he just got into power. But then I was pretty angry at the way he was handling it because, um, you know, a bunch of people were losing their houses, um, especially in like the suburban neighborhoods that I grew up in. And, um, um, aside from that, tuitions started to go up super high. Like, there was a huge tuition hike, and then that just didn't stop until 2013. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like, I felt pretty betrayed because the youth had won him that vote, or had been a big part of winning that vote. And then it felt like, um, it felt like we were getting the shaft for that, and I didn't, um, I didn't like that process. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, Did you did you uh, start learning about the financial structures behind the the crisis? The yeah, I mean, what was really crazy also back then was, and this was one of the big things that got me thinking about the question of power, was that a new discourse had kind of developed where it's like, oh, are we going to go back to Keynesianism? And in this context, they were talking about like, you know, like um, predatory lending and things like that. And I mean, it wasn't like, we didn't really learn about financialization or privatization or things like that, but we did learn about like, you know, just by watching the news, you learn marginally about the diminished role of the state and how the state could kind of uh, uh, play an active role in, um, in rebuilding after the crisis. But well, it was kind of taken for granted, like, oh yeah, well, that idea is dead now, so why don't we go back to Keynesianism? But there was like, 
no political force that would actually be able to push that. And also in that Keynesian context, like this was also the kind of first mentions of like uh, a Green New Deal and things like that. And then there was no power to push that through. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so then um, yeah, I went to the university and then I got much more politicized there. There was like this really cool Chicano grad student. Um, did, did Occupy like play a role or...? Not yet. Sorry. I didn't go to grad school. I went to like university. I went from community college to the university to get my bachelor's. And then there was like this really cool um, Chicano grad student. And I was just a lowly BA student from the community college that just arrived. And he was like super cool. He had like, he wore like boots, like leather boots, uh, uh, blue jeans, a blue jean button up shirt that was like buttoned all the way to the top. And he had these like Ray-Ban Wayfarer glasses that were like clear brown. And then he had this like Ricardo Flores Magón like hairdo, like everything from like the the pencil mustache, to the goatee, to the hairdo. And he carried his books, like, in a leather tool bag. And I was like, this guy's super fucking cool. And then um, I took his class on Mexican Revolution, like, readings of the Mexican Revolution, and it blew my mind. And that was, like, a really kind of transformative process. And then the first kind of instance in which um, I saw, or which I politicized, participated in political action was Occupy. And then, um, like at that time, I considered myself an anarchist out of a critique of Soviet structures and things like that. But then I really came into the, I came into contact with like the tyranny of structurelessness and things like that. And was like, okay, um, we need something, uh, more than just a place that we meet together to complain like that's not how you actually build power that's that would definitely work to to change discourses and also to kind of um shine the light on different kind of uh, issues mm-hmm. um but it was pretty clear that that's not how you build power and so after that i've been part of some cadre that was an anarchist cadre duh and then um what's it called we read a shit ton of theory there, and the theory definitely helped to to get a grip on what the problems mm-hmm. were, but it did not help on how to organize a reading group. It didn't or uh, help to uh, allow me to speak to neighbors or coworkers or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It definitely gave me some vocabulary, but it didn't really provide me with the means to engage with others in a transformative process. Was that ever part of the theory, the engagement? No, we didn't. I mean, we didn't read anything on engagement. Like, we read things on how to organize a cadre from Brazilian anarchists. Um, and that was super helpful, actually. Mm-hmm. And we were also in contact, like, um, later we got in contact, as you said, like, with the Chilean anarchists and whatnot. And that was all um, super helpful, but it became pretty clear that what I really needed was, like, methods. Mm-hmm. It's kind uh, of, yeah. And I needed, a, like, I didn't know practices, techniques, or structures on how to best organize myself and others to actually win power. And, um, but this, uh, yeah, yeah, so then after this, I got into the Graduate Student Union, and that was a s- even, like, that was, like, the next step of transformation. You know, like, in these memes where it's, like, you have, like, the beginning of an idea and then it ends with, like, God brain. That was, like, in the middle stage of, like, holy shit, like, we can actually talk to other people. We can go on strike. Um, we can win, like, incredible things. Um, but we can also mess it up afterwards. <laughs> Because like we won control <laughs> of the we, can. <laughs> yeah. we won yeah. control of the union and um, we were able to get this incredible contract, but we had no idea what to do in like hot mom- or cold moments. Like there's this idea of like okay, like we're in campaign mode, so now we got to do action, 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 action. But even in that process, it was like it's the same people turning up to all these actions, actions, actions. Maybe we need to do something more than just actions in order to get people to go to actions. Um, And then that became super clear when there wasn't like a contract to negotiate over. 
Um, and then there was this idea, like, what is the union supposed to be then? And then there was a complete kind of diffusion into a number of different kind of avenues that then basically meant that the union was... Like, the union didn't coordinate anything. We all just did our own shit uh, with the hat mm. of the union on. And so that was, a, that was a big learning process. And then I came over here to, to Berlin, and I thought I was just going to be here for a couple of years, and now it looks like I'm uh, <laughs> doing way more than the, the original stint planned. And um, we did the Solidarity City thing, all the things that Antje said, um, to the same conclusions that like, repeated the union things of like, okay, like, we need to learn how to do more things. Mm-hmm. And so then we developed a Werkstatt out of this idea that we could develop a space where people can talk about um, how to make their organizations more rewarding, resilient, and politically effective, as my catchphrase always goes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we also didn't, at first, like, we didn't want to, I would say throughout this entire thing, our job isn't to, to tell people what to do or to show them that this is the right way, but to provide them with tools that, tools in a space to think through problems. And then maybe they can think through their, their specific context and see what tools fit according to the context. And um, then the spade, uh, spade work came out of that process of like, cool, so on the one hand, we're going to do workshops and that would be like a direct way of working with people and learning together about how to organize and then spade work would be like a not so like it's still dialogical like we're still talking to each other but like it doesn't allow broader inputs but it still sends impulses outwards and <laughs> so forth and uh, thank you for that I, I know know that all this <laughs> now you do. know <laughs> now I know I didn't but now I do so, where have you been the last six months? Where have I been the last six months? Um, right next to you on the other side <laughs> of the room. <laughs> um, it's kind of true. I was yeah. just wondering if you would say something else. Maybe I forgot something important. Yeah, no, no. Um, you know, like I think our last episode was like in September or something like that. Then we went to California and took a, took our kid over to visit family. And then he got to experience Halloween over there and the beach. And that was pretty cool. Then we came back. I graduated from uh, grad school, got my doctorate, um, felt the warm embrace of unemployment immediately afterwards. <laughs> and um, yeah, then um, yeah, we started working with uh, different worker initiatives again um, once we got back in January. And um, in February, we got Corona. That was lovely. Um, <laughs> And then um, uh, two weeks ago, I got a job over at European Alternatives. And now I feel the warm embrace of... Uh, Employment. Of, of work. <laughs> and that's always Wage a joy. Wage labor. Hi, Georg. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Kasia. <laughs> um, no, that's lovely. Um, but yeah, that's where I've been. Perfect. And now you... Your top three things you learned from last season. Yeah, so uh, I think we talked to each other way too much because I wrote down <laughs> very <laughs> simpler things. <laughs> but long story short, um, I think it's super important to understand that not every organization has to do everything and that specialization is perfectly okay. Um, and the question is, how do we complement those different uh ecological functions to maximum effect for everyone um easier said than done by the way um like and, most things yeah and uh, eco- thinking it ecologically still means that there's competition like competition is an ecological function and so you 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 also have to think about ways to reduce that and i would say that definitely growing up in a neoliberal context your knee jerk is to want to compete with someone and be like yeah fuck them they don't know what they're talking about i'm going to show that we can do it better or something like that and that's it's an acting that way that you also provoke the other person to act that way Mm. in return and so the best way to do that not the best way but definitely the first step is to approach them 
like as partners and complementary. Yeah. Um, thinking through that, um, from that, it's like the exact same points you said. Thinking through that, there's then the the ecological <laughs> or the like Valerie Alsaga's episode on alignment and how to Ooh. like the how to think about aligning across different organizations. Like if we all have the same goals, we should think about how to use our different organizations to maximum effect together. That way we can kind of drift off of each other. And this is also kind of what you see with the episode. And then last thing, um, organizing is more than campaigning. Um, we tend to think of organizing as like, this is how you have a one-on-one. This is how you uh, do structure tests. This is how you do this, is, this, this, and that. And that's totally a big part of it. But I think it helps if we think of organizing as um, how we collectively organize our resources um, in order to change things. And that's organizing. And at different points, um, it's going to take different things, but we always have to have in question how to unorganize the unorganized or how to bring them into our kind of organizing processes. How to organize the unorganized. How to organize the unorganized and how to bring them into our organizing processes um, in order to to not only... um, make the movement stronger how to make the organizing process stronger because you then have more resources but also how to um, how to engage in a broader social process of m- learning through movement mm-hmm. and um, yeah I think that we, we have to take a more holistic viewpoint and a longer term viewpoint on what organizing is and that's definitely became clear in the last conversations that we had Mm-hmm. it's a bit different at least <laughs> a little bit felt, just, yeah, yeah. just on the last point yeah. just no the, but also the, like, you, you were just like very closely parallel I guess <laughs> yeah, yeah we were walking alongside each other you know? <laughs> um, so now the question what do you wish you knew <laughs> what do I wish I knew when I started organizing that I know now um Theory battles matter much less than you might think, little Danny boy. (laughs) Facebook is not the real world. Um, Facebook is definitely a good place to to organize, but you don't organize by having arguments over like um, Marx or Foucault or Spivak or these things. We that, might just have lost some listeners. <laughs> that, 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 we may have lost some listeners. I'm not saying they have their place in the ecosystem. <laughs> they have their ecological function. Just not but but I, I don't think if uh, if 100 of your available extra resources outside of your outside of labor time, out of uh, the labor time that capital bought, is spent on um, theory battles online, I don't think that that's the best way to to use your resources, and that's definitely. I mean, I didn't really do that online. It was more, yeah, in the cafeteria. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that leads to the question, after you learned that, what organizing problems you are dealing with right now? Mm, I guess the, the question is how to develop... Right now I'm helping out with uh, an organizing initiative, a workers, a workplace organizing initiative. And the question is, how do you develop pressure um, when you're quote-unquote legally not allowed to do it and when you're facing a very hostile employer um, who uses borders um, in incredible ways? So like... Basically, I'm just afraid that uh, I'm dealing with the problem of like, what if they close shop and just remove somewhere else once uh, they find out that there's some kind of organizing process? Mm-hmm. 
Um, and which episode are you looking forward to from the upcoming season? I'm not going to say Chile, even though I am very much looking forward to Chile. <laughs> also to talk to our comrade Pablo. Um, but I guess I'm really interested in the Toolbox episode with uh, Mark Bergfeld that we're going to have on strategic research. Um, That's a good one. That is a good one. Um, I'm looking They're forward to that They're all going to be one. good. They're all going to be but. incredible. Um, but that's also something else I've been thinking about lately. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, that said, before we go into our rapid fire questions, we just want to tell our audience what episodes will be coming up. Um, hopefully the next one down the pipe will be on Chile and the long-term organizational process that has led to the current field of possibility. Um, that particularly followed the student protest around the fee hike in public transportation and the new constituent process that has developed after that. Um, we're also going to do another episode on platform workers' struggles, um, another episode on care in organizing processes, um, another special book episode on Manuela Tsekna's Commoning Care and Collective Power, and a toolbox episode on Mark Bergfeld's um, strategic research, and um, as well as another toolbox episode that will continue the one-on-ones discussion. So, next section. We're on to the rapid-fire section of today's <laughs> talk. Um, okay, are you ready? Born. Born ready. <laughs> So, what keeps you up at night? <laughs> <laughs> that depends on what I do the, during the day, but I tend to just keep myself up with a lot of stuff. The last thing that kept me up at night was the question what kind of floor should be in a playhouse for our kid. I can very much pick random stuff. <laughs> <laughs> You do not know the long list of things that I could take <laughs> to keep me up Sorry. at night. <laughs> um, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the best Star Trek captain? Oh. Dang. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I should say Picard, but I'm kind of on the Janeway side of things. <laughs> <laughs> it suits your coffee addiction. <laughs> so a very geeky question. I'm good at those. Um, next question. Who do you fight for? That's actually a very complicated question. The first... Uh, reflex is obviously to say for my child and that is in parts obviously true um, because particularly with the climate question it is a lot about future but I would actually admit publicly that I strongly fight for myself and I always said that solidarity is self-protection and um, yeah so I stand with that when the ecological revolution comes, what are you going to do for a day job? Reforestation. Beautiful. <laughs> so, question. we kept those questions secret. That makes it funnier. <laughs> Ready? Ready, Freddy. How do you get your mind off politics? Name one thing. Whiskey. Nice. That's a good thing. <laughs> or, yeah. Or food. I mean, you, you, you walk into um, the bedroom where I work, around the corner from where you work, and um, I'm always looking at YouTube videos on food. True. Um, what was the most exciting political event or movement in the past 10 years? The most exciting political event or movement in the past 10 years. Oh, 
the first thing that comes to mind is to say the Amazon labor union victory. Um, the <laughs> second thing that comes to mind is uh, Deutsche Wohnen and Co. and Eignen, um, the expropriation campaign. And then the third thing that comes to mind are, is uh, general strikes in Chile, like a few years back. Mm-hmm. Another movement question. Which movement would you love to be part of, but you can't? But I can't be part of. Oh. Hmm. It used to be Deutsche Wodenkohleneignen, but then they developed the... <laughs> The foreigner section, and then uh, that, that dream was satisfied, but I mainly nice. looked from the sidelines. That's, uh, that's a good thing, a dream that became true. Yeah. And now, what is your favorite magazine or journal? My favorite magazine or journal. <sighs> Can we turn that into a podcast thing? I don't read much anymore. I don't do books. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, favorite favorite magazine um, is probably uh, Viewpoint magazine because I'm that kind of a geek. Um, even if Viewpoint magazine doesn't publish a lot anymore, it's still <laughs> one of my favorites. <laughs> And the last one will be: What is your worst organizing mistake, or was your worst organizing mistake? What's my worst organizing mistake? <laughs> So many. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping for something embarrassing or something, but something embarrassing. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that you have some in mind. <laughs> something embarrassing. Uh, Doesn't have to be embarrassing. Yeah, I don't know. Um. I guess when I when I when I when I think about the past, I never spent the time to really get to know my coworkers, um, like really, really, really get to know them, and to to stop thinking of them as like political objects that I have to move in a certain way, but kind of contextualize them in their own kind of life trajectory, in order to understand you know what's driving their decision making a bit better. And to kind of speak from the, to them from that point. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that I learned. Um, that I feel, that I hope I've gotten better at dealing with. Um, but yeah. Thank you. Almost five. Thank you for tuning into Spadework Podcast. An educational project by Werkstatt für Bewegungsbildung. A movement school dedicated to providing ordinary people with the tools capable of building resilient, rewarding and effective political organizations. Please find a link to the Werkstatt in the episode description.